You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your hosts, Vanessa Weisbrod and Emily Friedner. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. I'm here today with my co-host, Joanna McMahon. Welcome, Joanna. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. And we would like to start out the podcast by saying a huge thank you to the Walter and Jean Boak Global Autoimmune Institute for their ongoing support and partnership to make this podcast possible. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Autoimmune Institute, they have a very interesting path. The organization was named after Drs. Walter and Jean Boak, both of whom had distinguished careers in the public health sector. They were dedicated to delivering high-quality healthcare services to rural areas and making sure all individuals had access to medical care. And this is one of the reasons they support this podcast, to make information widely available to the celiac disease community in a way that is free and easily accessible. So again, another big thank you to Sandra Wernis and her institute. Today's podcast is about a very important topic, one that many of you have asked us to talk about. Many of our listeners are parents of a child with celiac disease, and they tell us that when their child was diagnosed, that they felt overwhelmingly sad, angry, and upset, that not only was their child diagnosed with a disease, but because celiac is genetic, that they actually could have passed it on to them. And for me, as a mom of a four-year-old with celiac disease, I can definitely relate to this. Thankfully, my career has been focused on celiac, so the adjustment was as easy as it could have been, but even with my career, I was still so emotional that Brandon was diagnosed at such a young age with something that would change his life forever. And forever is really the key word. There isn't a 10-day course of antibiotics or recovery from surgery. This is a lifelong change that families have to make to keep their child healthy. Absolutely. So to help us discuss how parents can cope with their child being diagnosed with celiac disease and manage all of these very natural emotions, we've brought Dr. Shana Coburn from our celiac disease program at Children's National into the studio with us today. Dr. Coburn runs the psychological services for our program, which includes offering consultations and empirically supported interventions to help families navigate the challenges of diagnosis and management of the gluten-free lifestyle. Shana also has celiac disease herself and lives gluten-free, so she is very, very equipped to help parents navigate this topic. So welcome, Dr. Coburn. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks very much. I'm happy to be here, too. So tell us, when a child is diagnosed with celiac disease or really any chronic medical condition, what's considered normal for a parent to feel? Well, the celiac disease diagnosis, you know, like any chronic illness really is a major change in somebody's life. Um, It's often a loss, sort of like a death in the family or losing your job. And many parents experience grief about the fact that their child has a lifelong condition that requires a special diet. And there's, you know, kind of a loss of normal routine as the family has to adjust to a child's new gluten-free diet. And this can affect any or all time, of course, but also school, social life, travel, um, many different areas of of their lives. And it's stressful. And this can lead to sadness, um, worry, guilt, and anger. And just like any loss, there's no one way that people feel. There's no one right or wrong way to cope with it. 
And any of these emotions that come up are completely normal. And kind of as you mentioned, one common emotion that people experience, especially as parents, is guilt. Um, Parents sometimes blame themselves for not getting their child diagnosed sooner or if they make mistakes and they accidentally expose um, their children to gluten, then they might feel terrible, Um, especially if maybe there's a special treat at school and their child doesn't have the perfect substitute. And some might feel guilty even if it's just genetic. If celiac runs in their family, they might feel terrible that maybe they've passed it down. And feeling guilty is totally normal, but it can be really difficult for parents to deal with. So how do you help these families overcome these emotions? Well, like I mentioned, there's no one way that people should feel or always feel when they're coping with something like this. So I tailor treatment to help them with whatever their unique situation is. Um, So for example, With guilt, I work with parents to kind of adjust their thinking and try and gain a bigger perspective. So the good news is that, you know, they have an answer for what's ailing their child, and this is a huge achievement. They should really be proud of themselves. We believe that the the majority of people with celiac disease go their whole lives never getting diagnosed, and the diagnosis is not straightforward. You know, hindsight is always 20-20. It always seems obvious later on. Um, And so, you know, no one can ever be perfect on the gluten-free diet either, especially early on. So it's expected that accidents could happen, and the best we can do is learn from them and try to prevent them in the future. So I work with them to try and look at things a little bit differently and think about the way they're viewing their their specific situation. Um, But there are lots of other different emotions that parents might feel too. So if they're feeling anxious and overwhelmed, I might work with them to slowly try to adjust to everything that's changing. Um, We might explore what parents are worrying about the most and how likely it is that things might, you know, go wrong. So if a parent's worried about their child having a reaction in a restaurant, we might come up with a plan to do some research ahead of time and ask questions. And we might explore the chances of there actually being a reaction or some, something that might go wrong and maybe coming up with what a plan should be if something like that happens. And, of course, you know, no one wants their child to have a gluten reaction or exposure, but we also don't want to avoid things in life because of the fear of those things. So a really important question that I ask parents to think about is what would be the worst thing in the world you know, about something that might go wrong with this. You know, how bad could it actually be? And what's so bad about that? We also kind of talk to kids to see what their feelings are. Um, Most of the time, parents are much more worried and maybe even traumatized sometimes about situations that go wrong or reactions than the kids are themselves. What are some strategies families can use to help themselves emotionally adjust to the gluten-free diet? Well, in general, the family is going to have a shakeup from having a new diagnosis. Um, There are a lot of decisions to make, like whether the whole house might become gluten-free or if they just want to set it up to be gluten-free friendly for the person who's diagnosed. In particular, parents take on the majority of this burden of kind of working through the situation. So it's really important that they give themselves a chance to feel whatever they need to feel and that they reach out for support. So, you know, this could be in the form of talking to family members, friends, new people they might meet in, you know, the celiac disease community or with um, their own therapist or, or spiritual leader. And it's, 
it's really normal for kids to struggle with the diagnosis as well, although many actually kind of roll with it pretty well without needing a lot of extra help. Um, kids are very resilient. So if parents can find a way to cope successfully with their worries, kids often learn that the, those ways of coping successfully as well. Um, I encourage parents to work on finding ways to cope and problem solve through things and talk through it a bit in front of their kids to kind of serve as a model. And, you know, there's a steep learning curve to follow the gluten-free diet, and it can sort of cause information overload. So families often feel better if they kind of set small goals one at a time and work their way up to bigger and bigger um, changes, you know, bigger and bigger tasks. So it might be that at first, families need to kind of explore changes that they might make in their kitchen, but not necessarily clean the whole thing out and overhaul it all in one day. That can be really overwhelming. Um, you know, so maybe one week they might look for one specific gluten-free version to substitute something that they might have loved before. And if they're feeling overwhelmed, um, they'll feel more empowered if they can build their way to this new lifestyle rather than to kind of shift it all at once. So I know that you're really passionate about patient-provider communications. Do you think that some of the stress and anxiety that families feel comes from not having had the proper discussion with their doctor right away after receiving the diagnosis and that they're sort of left to the world of social media and the Internet to get started? That is such a great point. It's a great um, question, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, absolutely. There is a ton of information out there, which is great and very valuable. But at the same time, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of myths. There's a lot of shared anxiety. Um, so, yes, I think that sometimes, depending on the process of getting the diagnosis, there's a couple things that I think go on. One is that um, people might become distrustful of the medical community and medical professionals because they maybe haven't always been They've never, they might have not felt listened to or haven't gotten all of their information that they were looking for from, directly from their physician or um, nurse or dietitian. And so I think some people find themselves pulling away from that relationship and instead looking to other sources of information. Um, and so something that I really stress for people when I'm talking with them is absolutely go find out information that you'd like, but be sure to be paying attention to the sources where these are coming from and fact check. If you read something or hear about it, um, make sure that there's something to back that up and check with other people who you trust, who you, you know should be authorities in this area, um, you know, because people end up avoiding foods that maybe they don't need to be avoiding uh, or, you know, believing that there are some conspiracies out there about, you know, wheat being secretly added to things. And it can ca cause a lot of extra anxiety for people um, rather than just kind of getting the correct information in the first place. So, I, yeah, I definitely agree that having as good of a relationship as you can with your medical provider is ideal. It's not always possible for everybody, especially if you have someone who's not an expert and there are no experts in celiac nearby to where you are. Um, and so that is when I would say it's just really important to look for reliable resources, looking for organizations that are well-established or um, information coming from medical institutions that they're publishing. There are a lot of really good guides out there. You know, our program has a lot of information. And, um, but in addition, other institutions do as well with all kinds of fact sheets and 
frequently asked questions and things like that. So those are great places to start. So how do you think that people should really navigate these, these like Facebook groups? Um, the one that I hear about in particular is this gluten-free families group that has like over 10,000 members on it. And I've heard many times in the last um, few weeks that people have gotten advice that they have to completely change their whole house, that like they can't be gluten-free unless every single thing is uh, completely taken out of the home that might contain gluten. And it's, it's wow. really sort of an overwhelming thing for people. Um, some families have seen in tears about it. And, you know, how should people approach these these online forums that aren't moderated by any true health professionals? My advice would be to view this as a potential source of social support and connection with people who are going through similar things, but not necessarily to use that as a source of information. Um, I think what you're describing is that like a lot of people will listen to the advice that's being given and assume that that is the way it must be. But the reality is that in this specific world of celiac disease, there is no one right way for people to live their lives and to set up their homes and deal with all of the challenges that come along with the gluten-free diet. Um, and so it really is a personal process of figuring out what, what works best for your own household and for, for your child or for whoever it is that needs to be gluten-free. Um, and again, so I think it's, it's using these online forms as a way to meet other people and know you're not alone and get advice from people, but not necessarily information on exactly how to do everything. Uh, I would suggest taking it with a little bit of a grain of salt, knowing that there are going to be extremes out there. Just like if you were reading reviews of some product that you were buying, you wouldn't necessarily look at a product that has really good reviews and really bad reviews and only pay attention to one of those things. You would want to kind of take all of that in and just figure out for yourself what you think is important to you and how you want to proceed. Um, but I agree with you. I think it can be very overwhelming for people. So sometimes it might actually be best to not join some of these communities at first and instead look for more targeted ways of connecting with people. So it might be if you know somebody else in the school where your child goes, where, you know, there's another family with celiac disease, that might be a really good place to start just to meet one or two people um, who also are dealing with a similar situation uh, or finding other connections, maybe through these forums, finding one or two people who seem to, um, to have something similar with you in common. And maybe that's a good place to start and just chat with them. But again, it's always important to remember that these people are not going to be experts. They're certainly experts of their own life and their own system, but that doesn't mean that that's what you are going to need to do yourself. So, Shana, you, you primarily work with children at a children's hospital, but many of these emotions that we're talking about are things that really affect the whole family dynamic. So how do you sort of differentiate when to work with both the kids and parents and the family unit together versus when an adult might need to seek their own adult psychologist to work through these feelings that they're having? Yeah, so I think the big question here is, is the diagnosis itself what's affecting people? And if so, are they in need of working through how they're going to cope with this? Um, if that's the case, then I would work with the family, even if the child who has celiac 
might actually be doing decently well um, if the parent is feeling overwhelmed and struggling with adjusting to all of the factors of managing a gluten-free diet with the house, parenting their child and setting boundaries to help them follow the diet, um, maybe even just worrying a lot and not knowing where to draw the line about how much is, is being too careful versus um, not careful enough. Those kinds of things, certainly I would work with people on, um, you know, and, and really any pediatric psychologist, so that would be a child psychologist who specializes in chronic illness and health. Um, we typically do work with parents and family members very closely, not just the child. So therapy often is not just a, a bubble involving the therapist and the child. It's, you know, we recognize that the family unit is a huge piece of their lives. So we work with um, whoever's kind of involved and the relationships that are getting strained or what, whatever pieces of, of their life are, are affected by this. And, but then in contrast, sometimes parents might be having their own challenges that get worsened by this situation, by the stress of this diagnosis. Um, in particular parents, like I said, they, they usually feel the most burden from this diagnosis. So we do sometimes suggest that parents go and find their own more intensive help for themselves. And this is usually the case if a parent might already have been dealing with other, you know, major stressors in their lives, or, um, if they are already dealing with some anxiety or depression to begin with, and then maybe the diagnosis of celiac disease might be that straw that breaks the camel's back. And so if that was going on, those are situations when I suggest that parents find a therapist for themselves. Um, but definitely starting with a therapist who has an orientation towards chronic illness and that kind of side of things can be helpful. And you don't necessarily have to find a psychologist. So there are counselors and social workers out there as well, clinical social workers. These kinds of people are also, you know, you want to look for someone who's licensed as a therapist. But beyond that, um, these people can be qualified as well to help you just manage stress and lifestyle issues. It's really when you're starting to get into the really hairy, tough emotional situations that um, – become extremely overwhelming, that's when a psychologist is probably a better bet. They, they're just going to have a little more intensive training in that area. Um, but a lot of the time, people who have this expertise with children and chronic illness are used to working with parents who are dealing with, with this as well. So it's not uncommon for it to affect parents or siblings and, you know, kind of the whole environment there. So as a follow-up, are there psychologists out there who specialize in working with parents of kids with chronic illnesses? And how would you find one without calling every psychologist in the phone book? Yeah, I think this is a great question because people do seem to get very overwhelmed by trying to find the right therapist for them. And like I mentioned, I think it is complicated because there are different types of professionals out there who all offer therapy. Um, the answer to the question about whether there are psychologists who kind of work with adults as parents of kids with chronic illness, I guess the answer is sort of yes and no. So for the yes, there are psychologists who specialize in working with parents of kids who have chronic illness. And like I said, these are pediatric psychologists. Um, usually you can find them at medical institutions like Children's National Medical Center and other um, hospitals and interdisciplinary treatment facilities. And psychologists who work with children um, are, like I said, they're going to 
be open and inclusive, or hopefully they are, inclusive with parents and other family members. Um, If parents are looking for their own mental health professional, for kind of dealing with their own stuff, then they would want to look for someone who's an adult psychologist. And they can still find someone who specializes in chronic illness or even, you know, family coping with medical conditions. But it's not always necessary. So if the larger issue is more general stress or um, overarching anxiety in general or depression, then they might just be able to find somebody in the community in a private practice or some other um, organization who could be a good fit for them. A lot of the time personality and kind of the orientation of treatment is what you want to be finding a fit with every, you know, whoever you're looking for. Um, So what if a parent's struggling with the aspects of parenting their child with celiac disease? You know, some of these things with making sure their child's following the diet and the child might be getting really angry or um, setting boundaries or maybe they're feeling overwhelmed with all the tasks that they have. In this case, that's when they would probably work with a pediatric psychologist um, to help them kind of look for new parenting strategies or new ways to approach some of the challenges that are coming up. And um, for either type of therapist, there are some good search engines out there to find licensed therapists. Um, Definitely one place to start is you could check with your health insurance provider and get a list that way. Um, A lot of them have online portals where you can put in the type of professional you're looking for. So you just want to look for a a counselor or a psychologist. um, And then you can find a list of people in your area who provide therapy. But the other thing you can do is there's some websites. There's one called therapist.psychologytoday.com. So it's basically the Psychology Today website. They have um, a pretty decent search engine where you can put in filters to look in your area and even buy who takes your insurance and in specific areas of expertise. And um, the other one is there's locator.apa.org. Again, for either one of these, you could just Google. the. the, So one is Psychology Today, and the other one is APA, which is the American Psychological Association. Um, And with both of these, it'll show you a list of anybody who at least has listed themselves on this site. You certainly want to fact-check and double-check that what is listed there is correct. So you would want to reach out to the therapist and ask them if they take your insurance and what, you know, what their background is, what types of people they work with. Most importantly, a general therapist is not necessarily going to work with kids. So if you're looking for um, a child therapist, you want to make sure to specify that age range. Um, But again, you don't necessarily need a psychologist. Some uh, therapists are fabulous who have a kind of a master's level um, of training compared to a doctorate, and that can be really helpful so there are a lot of different ways to, to reach out for support and try and find somebody. Um, and a lot of the time, psychologists at medical institutions have really long wait lists. So to, to kind of know how to look for other people can be really helpful. A lot of the challenges that might come up with celiac disease can best be treated with an approach called cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, that's kind of the most supported in research as effective and pretty efficient in terms of time. People tend to find that um, they learn new coping strategies and they achieve some of the goals of 
feeling better in a shorter period of time than a lot of other approaches. So that might be a good place to start is to look for someone who um, offers cognitive behavioral therapy. That's a great suggestion. So one question that we get fairly frequently is how can a parent figure out if their child is struggling emotionally with living this gluten-free lifestyle? You know, I think about particularly teenagers don't really like to talk about embarrassing things that have happened at school. So what are some signs that parents can look for in their kids to see that they're struggling and what would be some ideas for starting to help them? I get this question all the time from parents and sometimes when I'm meeting with parents and their and the kid, sometimes the kid actually is struggling and they're not sharing it with the parent. Um, but many times the child's actually doing pretty well. So, you know, parents often come worrying that their child's secretly struggling with the gluten-free diet. Certainly that's possible. But something that I'd really like to mention is that the majority of kids find it to be, you know, maybe a bit stressful, maybe a bit annoying, but they get used to it and they cope with it no problem. Um, if your child seems to be doing well, it's pretty likely that they're actually doing well. And that said, they don't all do well. So if you think that they're not sharing something that is important, the first thing is just to be um, available to open up that conversation. So parents might show their worries about their child's well-being um, in a way where children feel hesitant to be open and honest because maybe they don't want to add to their parents' stress. And so try to make it a frank conversation and try to temper your feelings a little bit. Um, don't panic and react really strongly if they tell you something you didn't want to hear or that upsets you. Just try and listen to them. And the same goes for if your child is um, eating foods that contain gluten, maybe at school or at a friend's house or something. Parents need to try to create a safe environment to find out this information. Um, and then they can figure out what to do with that information later. So it doesn't mean not to do anything about it, but you want to make sure that you're helping your child feel comfortable sharing that with you. Uh, especially for younger children, it can be helpful to also talk with teachers and see if they might have noticed any, any behavior that might um, signal that they're struggling a little bit at school or um, same with daycare, things like that. So warning signs might be things like withdrawing socially, not wanting to play with other kids, um, and same with teenagers, maybe not wanting to go see their friends or spend time with them. Um, also having tantrums or any kind of like anger, behavioral outbursts in class, uh, or when they come home from school, a lot of kids will keep it together during the day and then they kind of have a meltdown at home. Also, if they're refusing to go to school on a regular basis, it, those kinds of things might be a sign that um, your child's having a hard time. And, you know, I think just trying to be available to talk with your kids about that is a really important piece of finding out how they're doing. Um, but if they don't want to talk about it or if they say everything's good, then it's reasonable for parents to just accept that and trust that. And then if their child at some point starts to struggle or decides they really want to share something, if you're there and you have it as an open forum on a regular basis to just be able to have that conversation available to them, they're more likely to share that. Um, but definitely in general, I would say that, you know, if your child seems to be doing okay and if there aren't any major warning signs, it's very likely that they're doing great. And that's not that surprising. I think it can be surprising to some parents, but, um, 
kids are pretty resilient and they might be doing perfectly fine. Absolutely. And it's, it's, I think it's great that you pointed out to give the kids more credit than, than we might otherwise do. So yeah. with the holidays coming up and, you know, we've had so many newly diagnosed patients coming through the clinic. This is really going to be the first time that many of them have been in a large family gathering or a gathering with friends and having to deal with, with the gluten-free diet. So what advice do you have for these families on how to manage their emotions and their tempers and just how to handle when things might go wrong at a big family celebration? Yeah, I really empathize with the challenge of being newly diagnosed and having kind of your first set of holidays to get through. I was diagnosed this time of year, and and it's really challenging at, um, at first. It gets better and better, but it's always a little, you know, hairy to kind of get through. Um, Unfortunately, things will not always go perfectly, and so this definitely can be a source of stress and guilt, um, kind of like what I talked about before, and that can be true for parents and for kids, and the best way for parents to handle these situations really, I think, is to first try and plan the best that they can. So if there's a holiday party, if there's a meal or something, you know, special event coming up, they can um, try and talk to the host and maybe plan to bring food for their child, even if it's just a backup um, in case the food is not safe, you know, even if they think that there should be safe food, never hurts to have some backup food available. And it, it can be really helpful to talk to their child about what they worry about or what they want the event to be like for them. And this is true really as soon as kids start to be able to talk a little bit about their feelings you can start having conversations with your with your kids, obviously with it, at their level, whatever their capacity is. But you know, some kids will be happiest if they have their own treats and their own versions of things, so that they don't feel left out. And I think a lot of parents assume that that's what their kids really want. But others might actually not care that much about eating all of the food. Um, they might actually not really want too much attention to be drawn to them by them having their own food or by lots of questions being asked and so it's important to ask your child and try and set up a plan with them so that they know what to expect and so that they have a little bit of control over what's going on it's possible that some of the kids you know might not really mind just avoiding certain treats and they might still be able to enjoy what's going on it's also really important to prepare for the worst so asking yourself and your child what might happen if we're not really feeling safe about the food that's being served. How might we prepare for any kind of potential problems? Um, And this can at least help come up with a plan for if something does come up and to help everybody feel like they know what they're going to do or how they can handle things. Um, That said, mistakes will happen. Challenges will come up. Things aren't perfect. And if a child gets really upset in that moment, um, parents are likely to feel particularly guilty or bad for their child. And, you know, no one is going to be able to avoid these situations perfectly. Um, this is a time for parents to try to give themselves a little bit of a break. It's, it's also a really valuable learning experience. You know, children do benefit from learning that life isn't always perfect. There are disappointments and stressful things that happen to everybody. And, you know, for your child who has celiac disease, problems with the gluten-free diet are part of those potential stressors in their life. So everyone has their own stuff they deal with. This is one of them for, for your child. So I encourage parents 
to, um, in the moment, if there's really kind of a tough situation that comes up, to show empathy about your child's distress and however it is that they're feeling and recognize that it's a difficult situation. Um, You might not be able to fix it, but look for something, anything really, that's on the positive side, any silver lining to try to help you gain a little bit of perspective on the situation. So maybe your child couldn't eat the cupcake, but maybe they had a really fun time coloring and seeing their friends. So that was still fun for them. And often it's helpful to kind of move the focus away from food a bit and think about other experiences that come along with an event. And really this is probably a good idea for all of us to keep in mind. Um, When Brandon was diagnosed last year, the first time we went out, for like a dinner with another family, I made sure that we were going to a restaurant that had tons of gluten-free options. It was a place that had pizza and pasta and lots of different options. And, you know, I knew there was lots of things that Brandon would love to eat, but what I didn't account for was that they were going to bring baskets of bread to the table and they set the bread down and all of a sudden everybody's like grabbing at the bread and the tears just started flowing and he was so upset that he couldn't have bread. And it was, it was, I, we've been to that restaurant 50 times. Like I knew they were going to bring bread to the table, but I forgot. And I should have asked them not to, or not to put it at our end of the table where Brandon was going to see it. Uh, So we ended up, you know, letting him pick anything on the gluten-free menu he wanted as an appetizer. And so he got cucumbers and carrots and hummus. And it was like Brandon's special, like gluten-free, you know, basket of vegetables and he, mm-hmm. he ended up being with it and loved that he had his own special thing but it was you know five or six minutes of oh my gosh I'm a horrible mom how did I let them bring this basket of bread to the table and let him feel this way um, so it was a reminder to me to, to either think that through in advance next time or just to you know before we go to the restaurant let Brandon look at the menu and have an idea of what he wants to get as his special thing yeah, and that's so so tough to say to yourself, like, I'm a terrible mom. Oh, I should have done this. I should have done it that way. And absolutely, that that's a learning experience. But the other question I have is, you know, isn't it important for him to learn that these things are going to happen? And so maybe part of it is having a conversation with him sometimes before going to things of saying, you know, sometimes there are going to be things that come to the table that you're not going to be able to eat. But there's a lot of other great things that you're going to get to eat. So, you know, you're, you're just going to have to figure out how to be patient. What can you be patient, you know, with, with? Is it that you'd like to color? Do you want to say hi to your friends? You know, trying to help them find strategies to wait and to avoid the things they're not supposed to have is really important to learn as well. So, you know, no matter how much you plan, things are not always going to be perfect. And in the end, it sounds like, he was fine. It was a few he minutes fine of and Way healthier and way happier once he started, you know, eating his cucumbers and hummus. So it actually was a good. Um, but, you know, just I want to touch on one other thing that we that you were, you were talking about in terms of, you know, thinking ahead. Kids menus in restaurants are not- notoriously not gluten-free friendly. 
So, you know, if you are bringing a kid to a restaurant and they're accustomed to ordering off the kid's menu, I do think it really helps to plan ahead to find something that is that will be okay for them to eat and talk to them about it in advance so that when you get there, they understand that they can't, you know, pick the, the chicken fingers or, you know, pizza pockets or whatever is on the kid's menu, but that they might need to look a little bit further to find something that's safe so that you don't necessarily have that conversation in the heat of the moment when you're trying to order. <laughs> that's a really good point yeah and I think yeah, again like you said yeah, definitely. and like you said I think you know like you could give Brandon the opportunity to look at the menu in advance um, and so it might be just prepping your child for the fact that maybe there's going to be a children's menu but that food's not what they're going to be able to eat so here's the other things that they're going to be able to eat um, just helping them know what to expect can go a long way and sort of like we were talking about, you can give your give your kids a little more credit. So if they are prepared for it, they're a little more likely to be able to roll with it. They might not always roll with it. Um, but the other really important thing that I, I hear from a lot of people that I just want to make sure that I mention is that, you know, kids might in the moment have a really terrible experience where they're really unhappy or they're really um, – sick or they're really angry, whatever is going on could be this awful, miserable experience that, like you said, for five or six minutes or something like that. But the really important thing to remember is that kids bounce back. Many of them will forget that the whole thing happened within a few minutes, a few hours, a few days. And so, you know, helping your kid get through it and reflecting on it and saying, oh, that was pretty tough that this happened, but I'm proud of you because we were able to do X, Y, and Z. Um, that can really go a long way. And parents, I think, might feel a little better and a little less guilty if they know that most kids recover from these things much better than parents do. So they're probably not going to be worried about this after the fact, after it's happened. They're going to just move on with their life. That's great. And so I think that our big takeaways from today are that it's really important for parents to listen to their kids and to just be there for them when they need to to talk about things and they need support and that our kids are really resilient and that they're going to learn to cope with this and by, you know, sticking to the diet, they're going to grow up as happy and healthy people who can do anything that they set their mind to. Absolutely. And the majority of people, you know, struggle at first. It's a little difficult at first, but most people go on to – get better and better at managing all of this and it gets easier and easier. And, you know, most people don't need any serious emotional intervention to help them through it. Definitely getting a little support in the beginning or if they're, you know, if there's a new situation that they're trying to deal with can be really valuable and that's completely normal to deal with. But, you know, in general, most people do just fine. Well, Dr. Coburn, I want to thank you so much for joining our podcast today and for just sharing all this really important information with our with our listeners. So we just want to thank you. So to all of our listeners out there, we hope that you enjoyed today's show, and we will talk to you again next time.